Scripture reading for this morning is from the book of Matthew, chapter 21, verses 1 through 11. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, tell them that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to the daughter of Zion, See, your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt, placed their cloaks on them, and Jesus sat on them. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him And those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. This is the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for your word. We pray that as we approach it this morning, you would be gracious to us. Give us the grace to see and to hear what is truly there, what you're showing us about yourself and your kingdom. Father, we pray you would also give us the grace to respond appropriately. Father, we pray that your spirit would be moving among us this morning. In Jesus' precious name, amen. I'm not sure if it's true of of every mom and dad and grandma But I know it was true of my grandma. She had her favorite stories to tell. Uh, I think it's true of every grandma I've ever known. Uh, They have their favorite story to tell about their grandchild. For my grandma, it was the story about when I was a toddler and I would go into the living room, walk up to the coffee table, open the family Bible, and start preaching. I'd point at the Bible, and and I'd shake my finger, and I'd pound the pulpit. Obviously just aping, mimicking what I had seen my dad do so many Sunday mornings and Sunday nights and Wednesday nights. Uh, But she would tell that story. She tells that story every time we're together. She tells it constantly. And she says, you know what? I knew right then you were going to be a pastor. Actually, she would say, you're going to be a preacher. I don't know what she would have done if I had gone into, say, law enforcement. Her favorite story probably would have been the hours that we would spend in the backyard playing cops and robbers, and and she would say, I knew you were going to be a police officer. Or if I had gone into UFC fighting, you know, she would have talked about the hours we would spend in the basement wrestling, me and my cousins, and how we'd come up looking like we'd been through World War III, and she'd say, I knew you were going to be a great fighter when you grew up. Probably not. Uh... But we have these stories, and as a parent, I'm always looking for these stories, these insights in, into my kids, and I know grandparents are doing the same thing. And you, you look at them and you wonder, is this one significant? Or is this just one of those cute and endearing stories? And it's not till years down the road that you can look back and say, yeah, that, that was significant. That showed us something about what was going to happen, about your future. 
But it's not usually until years have marched by and history's progressed and life has happened that you can look back and see the significance of those kind of events. You know, when we talk about Palm Sunday, I think that's a little bit of what we see happening. The events of the day unfold, but it's not until years down the road when Matthew is penning his gospel that he connects some dots for us and we understand truly how significant the event was. The event is significant. All four Gospels record the event. Jesus is on His way, having set His face to Jerusalem. He's on His way there. And as they pass through the town of Bethpage, heading towards the Mount of Olives, He sent, sends His disciples ahead of Him. He says, you're going to go into the village ahead of you, and you're going to find a donkey and a colt that's never been ridden. Untie them and, and bring them to Me so that I may ride them. If anyone asks, why are you stealing these donkeys? Say, my master has need of them. And he'll send them right back. So that's what the disciples do. They, they obey what Jesus commanded. They go in and they, they bring these donkeys back. And Jesus, after the disciples have laid their cloaks on him, mounts the donkey and begins to ride to Jerusalem. And the crowds gather and they begin laying their cloaks in Jesus' path, and waving palm branches and laying them down, and singing, Hosanna, Hosanna. Save us now, Son of David. John tells us that as this is happening, the Pharisees are gathering, and they rebuke the, they tell Jesus to rebuke his disciples. I mean, this is high and lofty praise they're heaping on Jesus. And Jesus says, no, I'm not going to do that, because if I tell them to be quiet, the rocks will cry out. The crowds and the disciples, I think, knew something significant was happening. Knew that this was an important event, maybe even monumental. They began to make the connections between this event and Jesus as Messiah. But again, I don't think the full impact of it was felt, was, was understood until a lot of reflection had taken place. And so maybe years had gone by and Matthew could say, this was that. This was what the prophet Zechariah had spoken of so many years ago. And he'll, so he connects the dots for us. Now the prophecy of Zechariah isn't just about the Messiah riding a donkey. It, it is about that. It does say that. But it's about so much more than that. It's about the kind of Messiah Messiah would be. About the kind, the kind of king the Messiah would be. And about what kind of kingdom he would bring. The prophecy is recorded in Zechariah chapter 9, starting in verse 9. The prophet said, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. I will take away the chariots from Ephraim and the war horses from Jerusalem, and the battle bow will be broken. He will proclaim peace to the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. As for you, because of the blood of my covenant with you, 
I will free your prisoners from the waterless pit. From this prophecy of Zechariah, we learn not only that Messiah would ride into Jerusalem on a donkey, but we learn about what kind of Messiah he will be and what kind of kingdom he brings, what he, who he is and, and what he does as Messiah. So Zechariah famously says, your king will come gentle and riding on a donkey. But when you look at the surrounding context, uh, the chapters, the verses that precede that part of the prophecy, it's God who's pictured as coming. God is coming to his people. God is returning to establish Zion and bring prosperity. It's the Lord who is on his way. Lord with capital letters, L-O-R-D. And he's coming to establish Zion again and and bring prosperity. He says your old men will walk with staffs because they're so advanced in years. They've lived long and good and happy lives. And the streets will be filled with the children playing. He says I'm coming to dwell again in Jerusalem. And I'm going to bring my people out of exile. Nations are going to come to Jerusalem because that's where I will be. They'll come and they will seek me there in the city. And I will be their God and they will be my people. That's chapter 8. Chapter 9 you begin to see about God, Lord, all capital letters again, coming and He's going to bring judgment on His enemies. And then you get to 9 verse 9. Behold, your king is coming, righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding on a donkey. God is coming, your king is coming, riding on a donkey. How does God come and ride on a donkey? Here you see a hint, just a hint. At the incarnation, the fact that God would come in flesh to be with his people. We look at Palm Sunday and the triumphal entry of Jesus, the King of the Jews, on a donkey, and we see great humility. That's fantastic. We should. But if we just see King on donkey, we've only scratched the surface of Christ's humility. Because it begins with God becoming flesh so that God could ride a donkey. And it ends with God riding a donkey into Jerusalem where he knew on Friday he would die the death, the excruciating death of the worst criminals. When Matthew connects the dots for us, he's doing more than saying, look, Messiah was going to ride a donkey. He's saying, look, God would become man and ride a donkey. Gentle, humble is our God. Gentle, humble is our King. We see in this the depth of humility, the most profound humility we can imagine. This passage tells us a lot about 
the kind of king Messiah would be. But it tells us also about what he comes to do. Zechariah said he comes with righteousness and victorious. Other translations say he comes with justice and salvation. Or he comes with righteousness and victory. See, as the crowds were were gathering that day, I believe they understood some of the messianic implications. Uh, But they misunderstood the nature of Jesus, their king, and of the kingdom he brought. See, they thought the real enemy was Rome. That oppressive regime that had kept them down, that occupied their land, that foreign power that had steamrolled through the ancient world and now ruled over them. And so when they spoke of victory, it was victory over Rome, victory over the foreign armies. When they spoke of salvation, it was salvation from the foreign powers that oppress us. And they thought the kingdom was a political kingdom. But Jesus, all through his ministry, had tried to say, no, you've got that wrong, you're misunderstanding. The kingdom isn't a political kingdom at all. In Luke 17, you can read about Jesus and his interaction with the Pharisees. They said, you know, tell us about the kingdom. And Jesus said, you've misunderstood it. Uh, The kingdom of God is now, it's here, it's among you, it's in your midst, or probably even the better translation, the kingdom of God is within you. It's God's reign in your hearts. Fast forward to the end of the week. In John chapter 18, Jesus is being questioned by the governor Pilate. Governor Pilate had heard the rumors of who Jesus was, of who he claimed to be, and of who other... who he was accused of claiming to be. And he said to Jesus, are you the king of the Jews? He wanted to know, are are you a threat to Caesar? Are you a threat to the political status quo? Are you a revolutionary? And Jesus said, I am. I am a king. But my kingdom isn't of this world. It's not a political kingdom. It's a spiritual kingdom. But people consistently misunderstood what kind of kingdom Jesus was bringing. Even into the book of Acts, you can read that the the disciples were confused about this. And, if we're honest, I think we're still confused about it sometimes. Uh, Let me ask you to do a thought experiment here. Imagine you knew nothing of Christianity, you knew nothing of what the Bible teaches, and you just spent the week reading the top Christian blogs and the top Christian magazines. And I came to you after that week and I said, who is the Christian's enemy? What would you say? Probably some foreign power. Some other religion, some social or political agenda, or a party. I think we misunderstand the kingdom too. Jesus is riding a donkey into Jerusalem. 
he's marching into battle. He's marching into conflict against our greatest enemies. And it wasn't Rome. And it's not the political party. It's not even Caesar. It's sin. And death. And the evil one. Jesus marches to war on a donkey. He marches to wage battle. And he brings salvation. He comes triumphantly. The Apostle Paul in the book of Colossians can say, He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them. So he is a special king. And he comes to bring salvation. He also comes to preach peace. The prophecy of Zechariah says the instruments of war are done away with. The chariots are no more. The war horses gone. The battle bows abolished. He preaches peace to the nations. You think, well, I'm looking at our world and that kind of peace certainly hasn't come yet. And you're right. Some aspects of that peace are still future. The perfect shalom that God wants for us hasn't been achieved yet. But the most important peace, the most significant and profound peace, that was one. Did a Google search of the most destructive wars in world history. World War II would rank right up there. There's wars on the Indian subcontinent that would rank right up there. But the most destructive war in the history of the world is the rebellion that man declared against God. It's the war we entered into with God because of sin. Any true peace must begin there. And that is the peace that Christ won. That is the peace Christ proclaims. And that is the peace He offers and the peace that we can experience even now. I think that's a truth we need to remind ourselves of daily, if not hourly. Because we live in a chaotic, tumultuous world that is anything but peaceful. Wars and violence and conflict abound. And yet we can remember, we can be sure that we have peace. Because we have peace with God. So the king comes to bring victory and to preach peace. And to set prisoners free. Free not from Rome and its bondage. Free not from prison bars. But free from the bondage of sin and death. Zechariah says it's because of the blood of the covenant that he brings freedom. It's no longer the blood of bulls and goats. It's his own blood. And the blood of the new covenant. I think I have to confess. I don't always feel so free. Uh, sometimes I still feel trapped by sin. I don't always feel at peace. Certainly don't over, always feel victorious. And sometimes I feel like I just can't win. 
I can't find peace. I can't free myself. And I think that's the point. I can't. But Jesus rode a donkey into battle to do what I couldn't. That's why he was riding into Jerusalem. To win the victory for me. To establish the peace for me. To set me free. That's the kind of king he is. Gentle, riding on a donkey, with salvation, preaching peace, and setting prisoners free. Now how do we respond? How do we respond to that kind of king? First, faith and trust. Faith and trust in what he has done and what he has promised and who he is. Not a wimpy kind of faith and trust, a a robust faith and trust. I remember when my kids were little, I mean, they're still kind of little, but when they were littler, taking them to the pool. And one of my kids, I would have to coax into the water. I'd have to, you know, plead with them, you know, come on, you you can jump to me. And when they did, it was a very tentative jump. Usually one arm reaching for me and one arm reaching back for the edge of the pool. You know, they trusted me, but, but not really. They trusted the side of the pool more. Probably the side of the pool hadn't dropped them. You know, I'm sure I did something to betray that trust. One of my other kids had no problems trusting me. He'd launch himself at me, usually without me even looking. Didn't know it was coming. He just jumped on you. You know... There's a kind of trust, a kind of faith that says, yeah, I believe you, kind of. But I'm going to hedge my bets. Then there's another belief, another faith that's deep. And it says, I believe. And I'm going to bank my life on it. I believe and I want this faith to seep into my bones. To control my my every thought. To define how I see myself in the past. How I see myself now in the present. And how I see my future. I want it to be the lens through which I observe and see and know everything. I want that faith to be the most important part of me. That's the proper kind of response to this kind of king. Not a half-hearted faith and belief and trust. But a full, I launch myself on you. Faith. Also loyalty. We respond in faith. We respond by being loyal to this king. I think a lesson I remember learning in junior high and high school. We all learned it. You know, if my friend doesn't like you, I don't like you either. Trivial, isn't it? Not at the spiritual level. Being loyal to God means we treat His enemies as our enemies. I'm thinking specifically of sin. We don't make treaties and allegiances, alliances with sin. Not if we're loyal. I think so often that's what we do. We decide to peacefully coexist with our sin. to, To partner with it on occasion. That's a betrayal of loyalty. This king demands our full loyalty. Our faith, 
and our love. This gentle king who brings salvation and peace and sets us free. He deserves our love. Not in a weak, wimpy, sentimental kind of love. Not a hallmark love. A real love. A biblical kind of love. And Jesus says, if you love me, keep my commands. Obedience is a part of this love, but so are the affections. It's not just a matter of, of doing things for our king, but of wholeheartedly loving him. Being grateful to him. Desiring him. Seeking him. Wanting to be with him. It's a transformation of the heart where he becomes preeminent. Now there's a lot of reasons people serve and and obey kings. Respect for the office of king. Duty. Fear. But we're called to love. We're called to serve and obey. Out of that love. That's how we respond to this king. Faith, loyalty, and primarily love. We get that right, everything else will flow out of that. Jesus comes in on a donkey. And Matthew begins to connect these dots for us. He says he comes in like Messiah. He comes and he does what Messiah does because he is the anointed one. The Messiah. The very last book of the Bible, we get another picture of Christ coming, riding. Not on a donkey, on a war charger, a war horse. Not with an offer of amnesty to those who repent, but in wrath and judgment to those who have refused to repent and accept his offer of peace. Paul understands that. That's why he he pleads. And he says, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. So be reconciled to God. He's come and he's made the offer possible. He's made peace. Will you accept that peace? That would be the best day, the best way to mark this day, this, this Palm Sunday. By accepting the king's terms of peace. Would you pray with me? Father, we are so grateful. Grateful for what you did in your son Jesus Christ to make the peace possible. To establish your reign in our hearts. To bring us the victory. Father, we confess that it was all outside of our grasp. We could not have done any of these things on our own. And what we couldn't do, you did for us. We thank you that you're a God who would not shun humanity. In fact, you embraced it so much, you took on humanity, became flesh, rode a donkey, and died for us. We thank you also for your resurrection, for in that we have life. Father, we pray that your spirit would be drawing us to you, humbling us so that we can accept those terms of peace that you have made. We thank you again in Jesus' precious name. Amen.